Hello and welcome to episode three of the Todd Pod. I'm Todd Lisenby. That beautiful, stylish, young, coiffed-haired face that you see uh, on screen with me is Eli Letterman. And look, you guessed it. I've got the Manchester City shirt on. Eli, show us the Reppin' Harry Kane, this is special edition right after he broke the uh, the scoring record against your Manchester City, and now here I am like eight months later, and he no longer plays for Spurs. So uh, still reppin', but a little heartbroken, and now we're here. In memoriam, in memoriam tonight for Harry Kane, we are talking Premier League. That's right, it is a Premier League preview. I busted out the scarf, that's how you know we're really getting into it tonight. Eli, we're talking about the biggest soccer league in the world because whether people want to admit it or not, soccer is pretty dang popular. And I think before we get into the Premier League, it's worth noting here at selloutcrowd.com, no story is a story we don't want to talk about. And soccer is one of those things that if you go to Skinny Slims or any of the soccer bars in town, you know that there is a following for the sport. I'm always amazed. I remember... Last year in the Champions League finals, they put out the local markets that had the best TV ratings. And Oklahoma City is among some of the top markets in the country. So there is a passion for soccer in this state. I know uh, one of our co-workers here at selloutcrowd.com, Garen Emig, is a big soccer fan as well. And, you know, when we decide we talk about a little Bundesliga, we'll bring him in to talk some uh, Borussia Dortmund. But Soccer is something that's an adult onset phenomenon for me. I never played it as a kid. I got into it as an adult through the FIFA video game. Before we get started, Eli, why do you love soccer so much? I know people probably ask you that all the time. Well, there's like the like the the real big answer, like the big picture answer, and then there's like how I got into it. The big picture answer, and it's why we all love sports. I mean, we I cover OU as my day job. And, you know, on, on Saturday, there will be 85,000 people inside Oklahoma Memorial Stadium who really care about something. And there's that communal element. There's the crowd. There's the feeling of all that. It's so much more than football. That's how I feel about soccer or that football. And, and what attracted me to it in the first place, what pulled me in, I've been over there like that. It, it's intoxicating. That's the thing that does it for me. On the kind of more practical front, I didn't really play much growing up, play little. Now I play. I've kind of done the reverse thing of playing soccer I play on weekends right red pandas well we've we've rebranded as the trash pandas we we had to don't tell anyone at soccer city but in order to move down a league we could be competitive we had to pick a new name but i play now but i I got into it through fifa i picked up spurs in like 2014 and just never looked back and you know you mentioned the community here in oklahoma city born and raised just outside new york city i don't didn't know a lot of people here when i moved and skinnies and like the soccer community here is really cool i think one thing that makes okc distinct a lot of cities would have you know a tottenham bar a city bar uh, a manchester united bar everyone there's only one here in oklahoma city everyone's got to be there we mostly get along and it really is like a nice soccer community uh in okc the passion's real the community is real that's because the love worldwide for soccer is very very real one of the great, and right now we're living through messy mania in the United States, but one of the great things about soccer as well is there's not really an off season, Eli. Like you're going from August to June, and then you're starting preseason again in July. There's And, and every other year you've either got the Euros or you've got a World Cup or a Women's World Cup. It's a pretty much year-round fandom type of thing, which we certainly don't have in this state with college football. No, I mean, you're talking to a college football writer who feels like it's a year-round thing, but you're exactly right. And 
don't tell Fabrizio Romano that it's not, you know, a year. His season is, uh, is the summer in January, right? The transfer window, I, I think there's plenty of people who probably enjoy that more than they enjoy the actual soccer. Uh, it's year-round. It's constant, perhaps even too much for the, for the good of those who play it. You know, I think all the soccer that's been played in the last two and a half, three years since the pandemic has shown. Uh, but it's year-round. It's always fun. It's that thing that whether you're waking up at 6 a.m. to watch it or you're there for an afternoon Champions League game, it does it. It pulls you in. Um, and it's, you know, in, in our jobs, sometimes the sports end of it, the fan end of it gets pulled out of you with soccer. That's not the case. So we are three thirty-eighths of the way through the Premier League season. We are still very early on. I don't, I haven't, I don't have the standings in front of me, Eli. I don't know if you have, but I think. Let me get the one, table up. There's only one team so far that's still perfect. That's gotten nine points from the possible nine. Can you tell me who that is? Cause I don't have that, it in front of me. That would be Manchester City. Be Manchester City. Thank you for reminding me of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, I mean, this this is not normal that three matches in, there's only one team that has maximum points. This is a little earlier than that usually happens. But just so far through the Premier League, I got a couple questions that, you know, I told you to think about before we mm-hmm. podcast tonight about uh, the Premier League. At, now, just full uh, pulling back the curtain, we're recording this on Tuesday night. So if any transfers break on Wednesday or Thursday before this goes live on Friday, September 1st, we are not responsible for those things. So let's start with what team this year through three matches, and we're very early, but what team has intrigued you in a good way? What team are you, are you most excited about what you've seen through three matches in the Premier League this year? Well, it, Tottenham would be one. I really, and you know, that's an easy one for me, but away from them, I'll, I'll go away from my biases as much fun as they've been, at least in the league to this point, but West Ham, and that's a team I don't often like giving props to, They've been kind of fun. They kind of they're doing their thing. Like it's not it's it's Moy's ball. It's Mikel Antonio just you know getting on the end of a of a mistake like the one against Chelsea. But like they look good, and I think we're going to talk about transfer windows later. I think they had a great summer, and like the for for what they've been for how they kind of dropped off in the league last year. Like they're reigning. You know they've got a European Cup in the last year. They're going to be in Europa League, which I think might hinder them I, that's kind of my overall opinion is that these teams like villa and brighton who are playing europe for the first time and maybe aren't built for all that all those games they may suffer for that in the league but right now like west ham are fun they're taking it to teams and I, i'm kind of enjoying what they're doing what about you who's intrigued you so far so this is going to be a weird one because they got destroyed demolished in match week one but i really love and it's a continuation of last year what unai emery's doing at aston villa right now i i think they're a team that is right there on the doorstep of being in europe which you know this is a team who not very long ago i've got a buddy shout out to tyler lusher if he's checking this out he's a huge villain uh, our buddy Mike Kaler, the K-Man. Yeah, I was going to say, the K-Man's a yeah, villain. The K-Man's a big villain. And they went through the actual relegation, which we all have nightmares about, right? As th- those of us who support some of the teams that are usually near the top of the table, they went through that not too long ago. And to be back up and now in European places, I think what Unai Emery has done there is pretty special. And one of the things that I find amazing about soccer or football, as we call it, is that there are certain managers who, and it's kind of this way in every sport, but Unai Emery didn't work at Arsenal, but he is working at Villa. And it's just, it feels like that's the perfect fit for what they want to do. 
Uh, they've done a good job of the, of the players that they've bought for him at Aston Villa, and I really like what the villains have done early on. I'd throw Brighton in that list as well. I think, again, that's a continuation of last year. Turns out Brighton actually improved by getting rid of Graham Potter, right? Incredible. Don't tell uh, all our Chelsea friends that. But all right, so the villains, I've got a Jack Grealish story that I'm going to – a story for another pod. story i got to tell Mike Kaler at some point. Uh, got a Grealish story. But to your point – Anunai Emery, like a guy who didn't work out at Arsenal, but still, you know, after that remained one of the top managers in the world. And it just kind of goes to show the pull that the Premier League has now that Unai Emery left, but a job in Spain where he's competing for European trophies to coach at Villa. Great club, but like the the pull and the money, obviously, at the Premier League now, some of the signings you're seeing getting made, this is now a broader point, but there's probably like 16 Premier League teams and then a bunch of you know, the continental powers who can compete for certain signings now. But you've got, you know, Brighton and Villa and even like Nottingham Forest who are competitive for guys they wouldn't have been five years ago in the transfer market. It's unbelievable that where the money is in the Premier League and it extends to the managers. It's why uh, you've seen some pretty incredible managers take on some uh, some difficult jobs. And Villa was a difficult job when you and I got there, but he turned it around last year. Now this year, um, I do think you know there, it's going to be fun to see that as a full season project in the Premier League, and maybe in that group of teams. Even though as bright as Brighton have started, um, I might have my most faith in Villa to make some kind of run in Europe with with the way Unai's always been able to manage European competition. He's a tournament manager. They're fun. Matty Cash is scoring goals. Like that, I'm I'm all for it. And Unai, that might be the most fun managerial job right now, I think, in the Premier League, outside of Big Ange, of course. Special place in my heart for uh, Aston Villa. They were the team who gave up the two-goal lead for Man City to win the title last day of the season in 2021. So I always have love for, I guess it was 2022, always have love for the villains. Uh, let's talk so about many league titles, before. you can't even keep track of them. I know, I know. Ooh, it's tough. It's tough. Spoiled, man. <laughs> let's talk uh let's talk about the team that you are most convinced about what they're going to be good or bad who's the team that right now and maybe it is manchester city that three matches in you go yeah i'm pretty sure i know where they're going to land in the table at the end of the year all right we're going to take city out of this because like we kind of know what i think we know what they're going to be bar you know i'll even knock on wood for your sake you know something terrible happening uh with their with the squad in terms of health or anything like that I think we really know what Brentford are going to be, and I think that's important because Brentford knows what it's going to be. They are going to play their low block, they're going to counterattack, and they're going to do it all really, really well. And so they're the team I'm really intrigued by. I don't you know I don't know if that means they're going to push for Europe or do much other than finishing kind of mid-table, but you know, we, we know the Premier League is a league where this is part of what doesn't always translate into American sports. Like Brentford finishing top half of the table or competing for Europe is a massive accomplishment at Brentford. Sure. And I think they are really well positioned to sustain success. I mean, they've come up and done it. We've seen plenty of clubs come up, even have a couple good years, uh, and then go back down. They've seemed to find something sustainable. They've got Thomas Frank doing really interesting stuff. And they, they I like that they seem to really know who they are. Uh, and, and I think that's going to serve them, especially, you know, the teams in their class mentioned at Villa, Brighton, even Newcastle. Newcastle should be fine, but the teams who are going to go compete in Europe, I I worry about, and Brentford may have a shot there to kind of overtake some of that. I think for me, I I look at the bottom of the table. I think I know what Everton is. Well, Um, shoot, you took it for me because, man, I was watching them uh, uh, Saturday. 
It's and, it's so bad. I mean, when when Jose Saw had the save where he tapped the ball over the net, uh, when the goal was just get, it kind of feels like it's already one of those years for Everton. They haven't been relegated, I think, since 1961. Maybe it's 51. It goes back a long, long time. And they just uh, avoided yeah. it on the last day last year. But I just don't – they don't have – they're not spending money on anybody. They're not bringing anybody new in. Sean Dyche's style has not really worked there, and it feels like, you know, at some point he's probably going to hit the road and they're going to bring in somebody else to try to save it. I, it's a big club that I would hate to see relegated, but I feel like Everton right now are by far the worst team in the league. It's been really sad because they, they've – for what, how many years now? Three – at least the last two seasons, they've been fighting off relegation. They've done it successfully, but you can only play that play with that fire for so long. And it it seems like they really don't have it. Maybe maybe the solution for them is you know two months down the road, they're going to have to move on from Sean Dyche and hope for something similar to what Unai Emery did a year ago. But I don't think they're attracting Unai Emery manager. Not with that squad. Not with the the way Will they're they spending. This Will they with the new stadium? Well, they got to have the money for it because everything I, I've been reading lately is there. You know, they as much as Chelsea were in the headlines for, you know, with Abramovich and and kind of the the hit they took until Todd came along. Not you, Todd. The other, the, oh, I like Bowley. you. I don't. I don't care for that other Todd Bowley. Yeah, um, yeah I the money that the other Todd has. Well, sure, but like- I think we know Everton are also strapped for cash, so it, it's. I don't think it's that attractive to someone like Unai Emery. I don't think you're going to poach an Unai Emery in the middle of the season. They might be in trouble. Wolves, another one. You know, they, they at least, you know, it was kind of a battle of two seemingly hopeless teams last weekend, and Wolves came out on top. Um, but th- those two, I think, are the ones I'm eyeing at the bottom. And that, you know, since, what, 17, 18? They've, you know, Everton's been around a while, but Wolves have been pretty sturdy Premier League clubs since coming up, and it, it looks like that could come to an end. But our buddy Tyler at Skinny's, Everton fan, Brutal watching him watch that game. I, I hope for his sake they can stay up, and because otherwise that uh, those hairs are going to go gray pretty soon. Well, I mentioned my friend Tyler Lusher, that's a Villa fan. His little brother Tanner Lusher is an Everton fan, so the, oh, their God. family over Torture. the last five, six years has been through it a little bit. Um, before we move on and give kind of a preview of some of the bigger matches coming up this weekend, I'm going to put you on the spot. This is a hard one for you, and I'll do it too. I'm a Man City fan, our biggest rival, Manchester United. You're a Tottenham fan, your biggest rival, Arsenal. Who is your favorite Arsenal player of all time? Who's the player that secretly, even though you hated him, you go, man, I wish that guy was on my team at Tottenham. So in full transparency, if you looked at like my search history right now, you'd, look, you'd find a search for like likable Arsenal players because that's the lengths I had to go to for this. However, I do have an answer. And that would be Ian Wright. It was a little bit before my time in terms of playing uh, as far as when I was really into all this. But uh, an Arsenal guy who was pretty stylish when he played has really carved like, an incredible post-playing media career, speaking career. He's, he's a writer. Um, he's spoken about his experiences growing up. He, for, for a guy who wore that shirt, who's best known for playing for Arsenal, I really respect Ian Wright. And that's about where the list ends for me. There's a great viral clip, I'm sure you've seen it, of yep. Ian Wright with his school teacher growing up who had served in World War II that he thought was dead, who kind of helped save him. It's a really cool, heartwarming clip if you've never seen it before. He is a very likable character, so well done. And I'll, do, I'll go the same route. I'll go just a guy who 
Um, it may not be so much that I like how he plays, although I do think he's a quality player. But I don't know, even as a Manchester City fan, how you can't like the things that Marcus Rashford has done, especially yep. uh, throughout the pandemic, helping kids in England that weren't able to get food during the pandemic be fed. Um, he's really worked with a lot of the underprivileged groups in England, and so I respect the hell out of him. If we're talking about just a player, obviously Man United and Arsenal have had a lot of good ones, but I prefer to do just like you and just pick someone who I think is a personality <laughs> that I like. Because all the good ones, the reason they're good is because they made my team look foolish over the years. I would never say on any kind of live air that I thought Mesut Ozil was a stylish player. I would never, ever say that. Um, but you did. Behind closed doors, maybe. Well, I, I just said I would never, ever say it, Todd. I don't know if I could do but, more but you do. I'll say I'll say it for you, Eli. You do. I was actually at a wedding when he signed for Arsenal, and my buddy and I were in the back, and he's an Arsenal fan, and he was constantly checking his phone, seeing if Ozil signed. And then when he signed, you heard a gasp during the middle of the wedding. <laughs> he was so excited that he signed for Arsenal. Let's look at this weekend. We've got our first Premier League match ever at Kenilworth Road on Friday for Luton Town. Huge, huge. Uh, you haven't seen what Kenilworth Road looks like. It's a it's a pile of dog poop, basically. It's a terrible stadium, but it's a Premier League stadium this year. They played their way in. They've had to do all kinds of renovations. They had to postpone their first home match. They're opening it up uh, on Friday afternoon, this afternoon, as you watch this on selloutcrowd.com, because it is September 1st as you're watching this. So uh, what do you think about Luton Town? Can they stay up? I would love to see them stay up. It feels really unlikely. I'm, I'm more inclined to wonder if they're going to land in the, the Huddersfield or Derby territory of the promoted sides who have had the lowest point totals in a Premier League mm-hmm. season. And that hurts because they're such a fun story. As Todd says, Kenilworth Road, like, go look it up because it's a stadium that is right in the middle of the city. You've got to go, you know, as everyone notes, you got to go almost through someone's back garden to get into that place. It is as cool and, and a testament to like the soccer pyramid as there is a club that's had a bunch of promotions they've gone up done the thing and now they're here unfortunately they ha- they've had a pretty rough run to start you know i think uh what they had brighton and then chelsea right to, brighton, to kick it off uh chance to get on the board at home this week against west ham but like you mentioned west ham are playing well right now too right so and they've had a rough go and that it could be enough that it, you know the month of August or, or the, you know, the first four match days might be insurmountable after that, but there's such a good story. If anyone, well, I wouldn't recommend hopping on the bandwagon because it might not go well, but if anyone wants to find like a story in the premier league this year, that's worth rooting for, it's probably that one. And, and man, if they could get it together, uh, it would be a blast. And I do think, I think if, you know, any away fan or a fan of a club in, in the UK, if there were an away day you'd want to hit this year, it'd be Kenilworth road. Cause you don't know when they'll be back. And, uh, and man, that place looks tiny but special. Speaking about places that have been tiny but special in the Premier League, Burnley, Turf Moor, a place where Sean Dyche, who sounds like he just ate a bunch of broken glass and gravel, used to just punt the ball up forward and they'd try to have some six seven German guy get his head on the thing and head it down and get some crap goals, as we like to call it. But it kept them up for a long time. They've gone down to the championship. Sean Dyche has moved on now at Everton. Vincent Company, a Man City, Man City legend uh, who played at center back for Man City at the beginning of Pep's kind of tenure at Man City, is now in at Burnley. He's trying to bring kind of that tiki-taka style to Burnley. So far, it ain't going well in the Premier League, and it usually doesn't for teams that are promoted. 
Burnley this week hosting Tottenham at Turf Moor. Can Tottenham do it at Turf Moor on a rainy Saturday afternoon? I sure hope so. I think, you know, you, you mentioned it with Vincent Company, like teams that, you know, attack and, and play open and ticky tack in championship very seldom come up and can do the same thing. It's probably the ultimate test of him as a manager. He was the guy that was with the Spurs in their opening just after getting Burnley up. And this is the test. If he's going to be Pep's successor or making a jump from there eventually, this season's the managerial test for him. Either can he get a team that is, you know, went from being the the Giants in uh, in the championship to underdogs now. Can he get their attacking football to work? Or can he find a solution to, to get them playing at a kind of a sustainable level? Because as great as you can look in the championship, it doesn't take much to go right back down. I'll be, I think uh, the, the match with Spurs should be a blast because that's two teams. You know what Tottenham are going to do. We already know, you know the Angeball style. It's going to be open. Spurs will be attacking, ideally for them in possession. But um, every match they've played so far has been pretty wide open. It's made for really entertaining soccer, I think, from a neutral perspective. And I think we'll get more of that. I'm, I'm intrigued uh, to see what, what Burnley look like, how they set up. I am worried about what they can do this year if they're going to keep up with that style, but also very curious about what Vincent can really do uh, as a manager. It is amazing how much just the style in the Premier League has changed in the last decade. And you're right, like even the even the promoted teams are playing a style that's pretty fun to watch. If you're going to get in on soccer in the Premier League, now's the best time to do it. Let's hit a couple more big ones from the weekend. Uh, coming up Saturday, the late game, Brighton hosting Newcastle. Are you worried about Newcastle? Two losses. Now they were at Man City, and the the one last week was bad on ten with Liverpool on ten men getting the two late Darwin Nunez goals and coming back. But are you worried about Newcastle early on this season? I'm not terribly worried, as much as I hate to admit it, and we can have that whole Newcastle you know political conversation a different day. Eddie Howe has proven himself to be pretty sturdy in there. Although last weekend the the three subs that just put the game think total unforced error. And he threw that one away against a 10-man Liverpool who were not looking all that dangerous. But credit to them for holding up down 10 men for most of that one. These are two teams, I, I've said it probably four times now, I think at least one of them slips in the league by virtue of playing in Europe this year. And I don't know which one it'll be. Um, I would have said earlier, you know, even as hot as, as Brighton started, that they might be that one. But now there are some cracks with Newcastle. And I am a, a tad bit concerned. And, and I just, I don't know if they're... Steady. You know, who has a really steady upward trajectory in the Premier League? It's, you very, very seldom do you see it. So I do wonder if this. I see you pointing to the Man City. Yeah, I know, I know, and I guess there's something to be said for that oil money, isn't there? Uh, and there, there's a connection here. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious on that front. I mean, what about you? If you had to pick one of those teams that you're a little shaky on, whether it's this weekend, long term, the rest of the season, who, who are you a little bit uncertain about? So I've said this a lot. I think Newcastle, and it's funny you mentioned oil money because there are a lot of similarities between what Man City went through when they were bought by the Abu Dhabi group and what Newcastle have gone through being bought by the Saudis. And I do think they're going to go through a lot of the similar scenarios that Man City did, which is early on, they're going to have some really bad performances and some really good performances in Leeds. I think Newcastle may, may win like an FA Cup this year or may win a Carabao Cup this year. That's kind of how Man City unlocked it before they started getting going back in 2011 was winning the FA Cup, and then that led to competing for the Premier League. But I, I'm i not too worried. I think Newcastle has just been a, a, a product of a really tough opening fixture list for them. 
I mean, three of the first four matches at City, Liverpool at home. You should have at least gotten a point from that, I'd agree. But then there's no rest for the wicked. you got to go to Brighton next. So that's going to be really tough for him. Two more I want to hit. We mentioned Aston Villa. Uh, Liverpool, Aston Villa this week. What are your thoughts on that one? Intrigued, because until Liverpool... Until Liverpool sort out the defense, which might not happen, you know, this season, probably not in this window, they feel, from a neutral perspective, really entertaining to me. Because you know they're going to get forward, you know they're going to attack. I'm intrigued by all their attacking midfield options, but they can't defend. And they went from one of the best defensive sides in the league just a couple years ago to just a complete kind of shambles now, to borrow a term from across the pond. And... So I think any game they play against an attacking side and a side that can do interesting things as Villa can and they can attack in fun ways should be entertaining. And I, I don't think I, I think Liverpool will always sort it out. I don't know to what degree, but the slope there could be slippery. As slippery as when Van Dyke kind of slipped up against Spurs last year when Perisic threw him in the blender. I wonder if if this is at least we're starting to see some of the cracks. And and I know there's some talk of you know I, I really quite like Jurgen Klopp. Frustrate, fr- frustrates me sometimes, but this, you know, the, the talk of is he really the tactical genius or if things just kind of worked well and they've recruited well, maybe this is that year we start to see that. So last one, um, if you want to see Eli and I not get along, come watch us watch Man City Tottenham. <laughs> but the same can be said this weekend when you're going to be pulling for my arch enemy, Man United, and I'm going to be pulling for your arch enemy, Arsenal, because they play each other this weekend, the late game on Sunday. It's going to have a lot of eyes on it. Um, Eric Tenhog with what he's done at Man United. Uh, a lot of people had high hopes for them this season. Arsenal coming off the second place finish last year has really gone out and splashed the cash in the transfer market. They've been hit by the injury bug, losing timber for the season. Uh, Gabriel Jesus just getting back into the lineup. But I think there are some legit questions, even though we're three matches in, about Mikel Arteta and Arsenal so far. And I feel like this is a weekend where they probably need to go get a result to kind of right the ship a little bit. It's going to be a tough one for them. Where's this one being played? This one is uh, at the Emirates. So it is at home. So you would think Arsenal need to get points from this one. Well, you were saying, you know, I might be rooting for Manchester United. I'll probably be rooting for a sinkhole to open at midfield. In uh... <laughs> Fair enough. In that part of North London, however, I do think I think it's really important for Arsenal. You know, Manchester United—they've got their own problems. I think, and a lot of them. I think that midfield is a bit of a mess. They're banged up. They're needing to make some moves. They're trying to integrate a new striker. But they started rough last year, and I think there's just less pressure on them than than Arsenal, who we know what they did. Do we, do we use the B word? They bottled it a year ago, and I think. That was always going to be their best shot to win a trophy, a, a title was last year. I don't think it gets easier. I think teams, you look at them in one year and say, well, next year, look at how good they were this year. Next year, they'll be better. doesn't always happen that way. And this start hasn't been entirely convincing. Uh, and so against a wounded United, I think they've got to prove something, especially at home. Uh, I won't be rooting for it, that's for sure. I'm not still not a full, a full believer in Arsenal, and I won't be any more of one after this weekend if they don't really kind of prove something in a, in a weekend where they really need to. I actually think going back to just what we talked about, I think Liverpool are for Man City, they're going to be their toughest title contender this year, not playing in Europe, having that extra time to be rested, especially if they don't sell Mo Salah, which it doesn't look like they're going to do before the transfer deadline. I think Liverpool are going to be a sneaky team up there around second, third 
in the Premier League this year and maybe challenge Man City the best. All right, Eli, it's been fun. Uh, before I let you go, tell everybody about the stuff you've got going on at selloutcrowd.com. I know you've been putting a lot of big content out with uh, a bunch of OU stuff. Funny thing is, when OU starts the season literally tomorrow as this is posted, it's pretty easy to put out lots of content. But I know you're excited about this venture and about uh, your coverage of OU coming up this year. Well, Saturday morning, I'm getting to the press box by 9 o'clock so I can watch Spurs from there. That's the level of commitment we're talking about in Norman. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a thrill. It, it's Friday, so that means this is out Friday. That means selloutcrowd.com is live. It means all of us, you know, all of our colleagues who have been putting in a lot of work to get this thing up are, are going to get to have our work out there. And so over on the OUN, um, shoot, it starts now. The season's here. Um, I've been, you know, covering OU for the last year and a half, now doing it with Sellout Crowd. Got a lot of good stuff on the site right now. Going to have a whole lot more stuff coming, coming weeks, months, rest of the year. I'm stoked. Todd, you're going to be coming on some of my stuff. This is all real cool. And uh, come on the journey with us. Join the crowd. At Eli Letterman, correct, on social media? At by Eli Letterman. By Eli Letterman. That's right. That by Eli Letterman. He's a writer, folks. He's <laughs> uh, but you can follow Eli at by Eli Letterman on social media, and you can also email him Eli at selloutcrowd.com. Eli, we probably won't talk soccer next week. We've got an international break, which always mm. kind of fits great for you with your football coverage. You'll get a Indeed. weekend to kind of you know take a deep breath and just cover OU. But we will be back in a couple weeks premiering some more uh, Premier League action, whether it's Eli joining me. It's just me in here just chatting by myself. We might even get Garen Eam again on the act, too, as well, because I know he's a big soccer fan. So just because I left and I'm doing something new doesn't mean this fat mouth isn't going to quit blabbing. It's going to quit blabbing about soccer. I'm still going to talk about it because it is definitely my number one passion in the world. Eli, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk soon. And uh, get on over and check out Eli's stuff. You might see my ugly face on there as well. Thanks, buddy. Don't forget, everybody, email me, Todd at selloutcrowd.com, or check me out on social media at Todd on Sports. We'll talk to you next time.